What is the most evolutionary thing you can be doing right now? Are you going to serve the need of the time or are you just going to enjoy all the awesome stuff that it has to offer? Welcome to the Vital Vader Show. Immerse in a shared experience with me of exploring exciting realms of holistic health and the rich, expansive field of consciousness of which underlies and encompasses everything. It is here that we explore the essence of what health and vitality truly is. Get ready to discover how to enliven your ultimate potential for health and to live a life in a frictionless flow while achieving more. You deserve to feel vitality. As a matter of fact, it is innate within you. Hello, this is Dylan Smith, your host, an Ayurvedic practitioner and educator. Um, today we've got a pretty awesome interview with someone I met in India, Conan Misha, and he just has done so many bloody awesome things in his life. He's visited amazing mystics, healers, had these amazing experiences. I just had to share them with you, had to record him and get him to tell his so many stories he has. Um, but the bottom line of, of what we learn from this is, you know, w- what is the most evolutionary thing you can be doing right now? There is a need of the time that needs to be attended to. Are you a worthy candidate? Are you going to respond to this call from the universe? Um, how much of your energy and time can you give to serving the community, economy and society? Or is it best for you to just relax and enjoy life, go live in the mountains, go live in Nimbin, go live in a cave in the Himalayas and meditate full time? Maybe that is what's required for you. Maybe you need to establish that state of being before performing action. I would say most people know you need to perform action, you need to serve the world. But, you know, this is something that Conan has... Um, been in a bit of crossroads with with he's enjoyed he's been nearly addicted to these experiences um, particularly in india extraordinary experiences but when is it enough when is it time to get into the city and get into the communities and really start using what you've learned i recorded this with conan in india so as you get in india there's a bit of beeping bit of drilling the usual sounds you get living in an indian city enjoy So, Conan, tell, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your background, how you got into spirituality, you can say. Um, yeah. Well, grew up on a farm in Oregon. Uh, went to college in Pittsburgh, studied electronics, <laughs> electrical engineering, mm. specialization in computer electronics, digital mm. circuit design. Went to... Um, San Francisco, San Jose area, what's known as the Silicon Valley. Mm. Got a job there designing computer chips and made lots of money. Drove around in a yuppie car (laughs) with pop-up headlights and ate in sushi bars, did all the yuppie things. (laughs) And uh, on the material level, it seemed like a great life, but it was very stressful. Mm. Everything in that, that industry, in the IT industry, it's very high pressure. Everything needs to be done yesterday mm. type of an environment, and you're expected to work long hours. And, and <clears throat> it took its toll on me, even though I was 
you know, in my 20s at the time, I was starting to feel um, the effects of it in terms of my health. And uh, so I started um, researching. First, I tried the Western doctors, not knowing any better, and I soon realized that they can they know a lot about their speciality, but they without knowing the whole yeah. and how the, the mind works connected mm. with the body and, and the whole system, they're not going to be able to treat the chronic mm. types of diseases. What diseases what were we experiencing? Uh, pains in the joints and some skin problems and just a number of stress related mm-hmm. um, problems. Yeah. And um, so I started, eventually I, I realized, okay, I need to research this and figure mm. out how to deal with this my own in a more holistic way. Mm. And my father had already introduced me to more holistic type of thinking. He used to read um, from the writings of Edgar Cayce, who was this, uh, this uh, guy from early, earlier, about 100 years ago mm. in the States, and he channeled information mm-hmm. from, uh, I don't know, some higher intelligence. And, mm. and a lot of it was about holistic health and herbal medicine mm. and then also the importance of meditation and so mm. forth. So I was, already had some openness to these mm-hmm. ideas. But um, I finally, when, when my own health started to suffer and my own peace of mind started to suffer, I finally got serious about pursuing those ideas. Mm. And so um, I started, I became vegetarian, I started exercising, running, but, but then I pushed myself too much in my running and, it, and I got joint problems as a result. Mm. And so I kept searching for alternatives and new ways to came across a book <clears throat> by Andrew Weil, which was all about holistic herbal and medicine and, and meditation, and mm. very much changed my life. I was buying the books and giving them out to <laughs> And then I came across a book in a bookstore called Perfect Health by mm. Deepak, Dr. Deepak Chopra, and that uh, that really impressed me. Yeah, that is. That is like my number one book, I say, to introduce people to Ayurveda. It's a great And it also it was a big change in my life. In was it? Introducing me to it and mm-hmm. making me want to pursue it as a career. Yeah, yeah. It changed yeah. me. It introduced me to Ayurveda and also I, it introduced me to Transcendental Meditation. And I, yeah. got, I had nice experiences with that. Um, and... And learned some of the advanced techniques, mm. um, the CD program, and so forth. And and then actually within a year of learning that meditation technique, I became a teacher, Great. started teaching others, and, mm. and I was sort of a, a TM zealot. I was for for many years mm. um, because I had such wonderful results, yeah. such wonderful such experiences. Such an effective I, technique. It was is, and so I wanted to share it mm. with everyone. Right. And I thought everyone needs to be practicing this. Mm. This is awesome. This is, <laughs> this is it, the panacea. Yeah. And I still, you know, recommend it to everyone. But mm. I've had some experiences since then, which have led me to open my mind a little bit, broaden my awareness mm. to the fact that hey, some people have pretty incredible experiences of awakening through techniques that are not, you know, literally 
<laughs> the exact same technique as branded by, the, by Maharishi and the yeah. movement. And so um, I think Maharishi even said, if it's effortless, it is effectively transcendental meditation. Mm. If, if you're, I say, if you're experiencing peace and joy in your sadhana, in your practice, mm. then, then you're transcending, you're going yeah. beyond a relative material mm. level of life with your awareness and experiencing the inner peace yeah. and joy that is in the core of at the core of each of us mm. and who we all really are. Mm. So I encourage people to um, pursue whatever practice they they're, they've found which gives them that experience reliably, mm. yeah. including to you. Yeah. So. That was how I got started, right. and then, uh, um, then adventures started. Okay. And in the TM, uh, there's one thing called Purusha and Mother Divine. Right. And this is basically, you want to talk about that? You were Purusha? I was on Purusha for yeah. four years. That's uh, Whereabouts? I'm mostly in North Carolina in an ashram there, okay. just men, and that's a celibate monk lifestyle. Mm. There were about 200 of us there and we just did mm. yoga, meditation and, and this advanced yogic flying technique mm. for about eight hours a day, every day, yeah. seven days a week mm. for four years. So it was yeah. a very deep immersion into, into the self. Maharishi created this program to enhance the collective consciousness. Yeah, yeah. To Individual and collective. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's still going on and, and mm. there are Purusha's in India, in, in, in the Smoky Mountains of U.S. I think in South Australia there's one as well. Is there? Yeah. Yeah. Place. And uh, has it decreased or, do you know if it's decreased or increased in numbers? The amount of... um, I don't know. Mm. I, I might have decreased a little bit, but I know there are people still joining. And what, what age were you in Purusha? That would have been in my late 20s, I guess. Okay. Um, and, why, and why did you leave for four years? Uh, well, <clears throat> I eventually, I was you know, having wonderful experiences on Purusha, spiritual experiences, mm. a lot of bliss. Um, it wasn't all bliss, you know, there was a lot of purification mm. as well, but some very blissful experiences. Mm. And um, my first trip to India was while I was on Purusha. Maharishi sent me here mm. to teach Transcendental mm. Meditation to Indians. Mm. They won't... They don't appreciate their own culture, but if it comes from a Westerner, then they, yes. oh, it must be valuable. <laughs> but it's their own, you know, Vedic culture that I'm mm. bringing back to them. Yeah. <laughs> Maharishi's a genius in that, mm. understanding that mentality. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so eventually I was having these wonderful experiences, but eventually I started to feel like maybe I wasn't as integrated with the material level of life, the relative. Mm. Maharishi talks about in terms of the absolute and the relative. Absolute yeah. is the transcendental being, which yeah. is non-changing. Non mm. That unified, unified field, field consciousness, right. and where everything comes from. Right. The witness, the silent witness within, mm. Shiva. And um, and then the, the other phase of, of the universe is the relative, mm. which is always changing, mm. and the values in the relative are relative to other values, and relative mm. to time and space, mm. and so forth. So, 
the only con- thing constant in the relative phase of life is change. Change, exactly. <laughs> so I was, I guess there maybe was some concern that I wasn't going to be able to function, in mm. the, or wasn't able to function, because I was sort of transcendental, mm. my consciousness was there, and, yeah. and my body was not, you know, body is, exists within the relative material mm. phase of life, so my body was not as strong as it used to be, um, my mind was not as strong as it used to be, I wasn't able to focus on details like when I was a computer engineer, I was very good at focusing on details and problem solving, mm. but I, I seem to have lost that ability uh, due to lack of exercising it, lack of focusing on, on details and material level. So I felt that I should uh, leave Purusha and get more integrated. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, there were some, th- some things I could do and did do on Purusha to try to achieve more integration even mm. on the program, like longer sets of yoga asanas. Mm. And less meditation. And less meditation. Yeah, but you didn't really have an option to do less meditation Mm. because it's a set program, at least not at that time. Mm. So I was not really feeling integrated. Um, Mm. That was one of the main reasons also, you know, along with that sense of being integrated is a sense of financial stability. Mm. That was starting to concern me more. Yeah. Yeah. Because in generally... We have two ways of living. One is the householder, mm-hmm. who is definitely integrated and mm-hmm. doing their work very much in the relative. And then there is the recluse or the we call sannyasi, where you denounce all attachments. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you're not complete complete sannyasi on Purusha, because still you have you know, there's some Indians. You're close to it, but in, there's some Indians here um, who have really denounced a lot of attach- uh, possessions. You still eat the food. Right. Have nice beds and things. But, right. right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because there's definitely a lot of sannyasis in, in India. And it's interesting whose dharma it is, you know. How, how relevant is it for us Westerners who have the knowledge of what is the need of the time right now? Mm-hmm. How, how beneficial it is to go and meditate full-time mm-hmm. away from everyone? Or should we be... You know, like you were doing before, teaching meditation, or mm-hmm. you know, the earth needs radical action right now, and people yeah. like you to spread the knowledge. And people like Purushas who are, maybe they're not capable, maybe they're better off meditating in a cave. But right. it's interesting, you know, which which path. And I don't know how relevant it is for people to be maintaining full time. Yeah, I I think people are guided from within. Which mm. path is is Mm. Appropriate and for them, for yeah. their love, for their current state. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was on Purusha, that was the perfect thing for me. Yeah. I needed, sure. I needed to like decompress from that mm. intense, high mm. focus of the computer engineering world. Yeah. I needed to like go to the other extreme and, mm. and just be transcendental, abstract for a few years to to, mm. bal- to swing the other way and balance things mm. out. And then the pendulum. It's yeah. swung to both extremes, and now it's trying. It's like settling down to a, a an integrated mm. middle ground. Yeah. yeah, I think. But definitely, um, the value to the world as a whole is not just staying in the transcendental 
abstract, but bringing that, bringing heaven back to earth, mm. experiencing, certainly experiencing the transcendental being, the self of all beings, but then after having experienced it, come out into the material level of life and act and integrate. Mm. So you're bringing heaven with you as you come out mm. and bring it onto earth. Yeah. And that's how heaven descends onto earth yeah. through us individually experiencing having heaven and then coming back to earth and bringing heaven with us. Okay. Yeah. This is more the language of A Course in Miracles, which I got into later and mm. really transformed me in a, in a major way. Yeah, we'll speak about that soon. But that's that's like the Vedic epitome, really, is Yoga Star Kuru Kamani. Yes. Which is, I think, chapter 2, Bhagavad Gita. Yes, yeah, Bhagavad I don't know which verse. And yeah. established in being, perform action. Right. First established in being, then perform action. Exactly. And, and that's how the integration happens. Yeah. And anyone who, whatever technique, as long as you're establish, establishing yourself in being, mm-hmm. and go ahead and perform the action. And, and it might take six years to, <laughs> to yeah. do that. Right. And there's like different levels within it. Established in being might mean just meditate for 20 minutes mm. and then perform action. Mm. Or it might mean go on Purusha or some mm. kind of reclusive program for four years mm. and then go dive dynamic into dynamic activity. So how was your action when you got back well, into the relative? It took me some time to you know, readjust to the relative. At first mm. I, was, I was not very able to focus mm. on the details but because mm. I'd spent so long on... Mm. And but now it's it's getting much more interesting. It's interesting because here at the Dr. Raja Clinic in Hyderabad, it's the only really the only place I've met Purushas. Mm. Um, definitely haven't met them otherwise. But it's interesting seeing them all. Um, mm-hmm. Some are you can see have challenges integrating. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd say most. Mm-hmm. But then you know, I've also met a few who are really amazing people and. Yeah. Um, I would be. I'm surprised that they were Purusha. You know, one one man especially. Uh, I think he went. He planned to go there for a year, and he was a professional athlete from New Zealand and mm. TM, and went planned to go for and ended up staying for six years. Mm. And he's now um, living in LA. Runs this company called New Mavericks, and it's um, basically it's like business consulting, Vedic business consulting. So he consults high end CEOs with a Vedic worldview on how to approach is that, business. Is that Shane? Ramon. Oh, Ramon? Ramon oh. Newman. Newman? Yeah. Oh, he changed his name. Yeah, his last name is Newman. That's, he was a good friend of mine, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. he was in the same... In yeah, the, same oh, time. Wow. Yeah. And then Paolo was there as well? Paolo oh. D'Angelo? Yes, yes. They were both there. Okay. Yeah. Good. So they're business partners. In this. Yeah, yeah, I heard they moved <laughs> yeah. and started there. But yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> and yeah, so so yeah, integration. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, so I ended up uh, getting a job in Switzerland, doing computer engineering again, mm. um, <clears throat> which is a beautiful place to be. Um, moved through some karmic experiences there, mm. <laughs> and uh, then then I. Decided to come to India, and, and I was—I've always—I had a little bit of remnants of the joint pains still from mm. when I was stressed out and and some injuries, mm. um, never quite fully healed. And so um, I was searching for well, not only healing of physical body, but also 
healing of the mind and spiritual growth and mm. peace of mind and all and that inner bliss. Mm. So I came to India in search of those things and uh, had a lot of adventures. In mm. India. I lived here for two years. Mm. Um, had to leave every six months to renew my visa, but just went across the border to Nepal. Mm. What age were you? <clears throat> that was uh, like 30s, early 30s or something okay. like that. So one thing I, I did um, in search of healing, I went to visit um, some Indians who had given me uh, what they call, in the Tia movement they call it, Vedic vibration mm. technology, I think, where they're basically using mantras on a soft level and then they blow the energy of the mantras into the area of the body that, that needs healing or balancing. And I had... Blow with their mouth? Yeah. Mm. They, you know, they have to be in a settled state, basically on yeah. the edge of the transcendent or, or established in the transcendent as they're thinking the mantra and blowing it in there. Mm. But I really felt a, quite a powerful effect from that. And I somehow I learned who, where this guy, this Indian guy was living. And he was actually here in Hyderabad. So I came and visited him in, here in India. And, and I asked if he could give me more treatments. And mm. He said, no, that worked because it had Maharishi's blessings. Mm. But I can't do it on my own independently. Mm. I've heard of Vedic vibrations with the pulse. My teachers are, and, oh. and just to paint a picture, we're here at the Hyderabad Clinic, yeah. Dr. Rajas, and the Father Raju especially, who passed away two years ago, he was very good with the Vedic vibrations and healed through the pulse. Oh, really? We treat people, and so you know, I haven't heard of the blowing, though, but it's interesting. Uh-huh. And it's, it's fascinating, this, this subtle treatments, and especially the Raju family, like, they are so subtle with... You know, mantras, which primordial sounds, which are vibrating, you mm-hmm. know, definitely how measurable by science, science and technology. I think it's still measurable, but obviously different layers. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the subtle is just so powerful. It um, yeah. Yeah, it, it creates a capacity for such effective and high performance. And mm-hmm. that's where all the power is, right? The it subtle. is. Yeah. That's interesting. And, and even, you know, especially with the Rajas, the medicines and the treatments which are involving these mantras, these primordial sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, people, I see people who aren't spiritual and who, who haven't had many experiences with um, expanded uh, levels of consciousness mm-hmm. and still get great effects from it. Mm-hmm. For example, the banana treatment, which is very, a very subtle therapy for women's health. Mm-hmm. I see people who... Just, you know, when Dr. Raj comes to Australia, we get as many ladies to do it as possible because it's mm-hmm. such a great treatment and an opportunity. And people come to it who have never meditated before and they don't really believe or they're not really know much, which mm-hmm. is a good thing as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, they just get these profound effects, mm-hmm. profound healings and changes, which is, which is amazing, the power of the subtle. It is. <laughs> Marishi always uh, gave an example of how much more powerful it is to work at the atomic level than at the molecular level, mm. you know, atomic energy versus chemical energy, mm. burning things, you know, like coal, yeah. atomic energy gets so much more power. Yeah. So the subtler, mm. smaller scales of time and distance is where the power is. Yeah. 
Sukshma is the Sanskrit word for subtle. It's mm-hmm. in Sanskrit, the whole Sanskrit language is onomatopoeia. Yes, so it is. It's, it's the it's like the child of nature, mm-hmm. the language language the child of nature, and it's imitating what nature is intending to say. Right. So subtle. Sukshma. Sukshma. <laughs> I love. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So so that was my first one of my first experiences. Mm. I also went to see these. Um, palm leaf readers, the mm, body readers, mm. had some adventures with them. Yeah, I've yeah. heard good things about them. Yeah. But there's only, there's many who claim to be Nadi palm leaf right. readers, but only... I have heard not all are genuine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had mixed results. I, they certainly seem to know my past quite well. Mm-hmm. The predictions about the future were kind of generally correct, but mm-hmm. some of the specifics I... Or not as, mm. as detailed as I can. you give a quick brief <laughs> of what would happen in a palm leaf reading session? Well, you go there and you um, they take your thumbprint and they use that to look up your, your palm leaf, mm. which was, you know, supposedly written by a rishi who lived thousands of years ago mm. and who foresaw your coming at this time to pick up your Jodish reading, mm. your astrolog- astrological reading. Mm. So they wrote wrote it down on a palm leaf, mm. and they, if they if the house that keeps these palm leaves can find your leaf, then you can receive your reading. Mm. And so I went to a number of different ones. Mm. Um, Is that because they couldn't find your leaf? No, they found my leaf. They all found your leaf. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just curious okay. to see if they would see the same thing, mm. and it wasn't a hundred percent the same. Okay. There were some differences, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, but some of, they recommended a lot of remedial actions, like going go to this temple, mm. go to this Durga temple, give lemons to Durga mm. Devi, do this, do this parikrama, walking around, mm. go to this sacred waterfall in mm. Kutralam and take a shot, take a bath in the waterfall. <laughs> so I was, and go to this uh, Ayurvedic doctor and take his medicines, mm. and so I did everything, absolutely mm. everything. Good travel agent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, I'm not. It's hard to say how much beneficial effect mm. all that had. Mm-hmm. I didn't didn't feel any worse mm. <laughs> from doing mm. it. Um, <clears throat> but I ended up uh, settling. I, I ended up going to. Oh, while I was actually one of my motivations for coming to India, I was I I had already learned to read Sanskrit mm. like, to make the sounds. I don't don't understand mm. all the words. But I could read the Devanagari script and right. make the sounds, and I had wonderful experiences mm-hmm. just reading the sounds, which is something Maharishi has always encouraged people to do because he says the main value of Sanskrit is in the sound, the mm. vibrational value, not the meaning. Yeah. And so I, I, want, I came to India with the idea that I was going to go to one of these villages where they speak Sanskrit mm. as their primary language. And I was just going to immerse myself in Sanskrit and learn learn to speak Sanskrit. But then, when I was uh, in Chennai um, exploring the, the palm leaf reading thing, I saw on the TV um, the Maharishi channel came on, and they started talking about um, this large group of Vedic pundits coming together in the middle of India, in mm-hmm. what he called the Brahmasthan, the center point of India, and they were doing daily Rudra Vishek performances in like a thousand or 
or more, 2,000 pundits doing it together. Mm. And I thought, oh, I've, I've attended those performances before. I can't imagine what it would be like if there was a 1,000 of them doing mm. it together. So I said, I'm going there. And so I changed my plans and went mm. there instead. And they didn't speak Sanskrit there in that village. Uh, at that time, there were no Western facilities mm. at the ashram where they were doing it. So I rented a room from a local Indian family. Mm which was a blessing because the, the family didn't speak any English. Mm. So I was forced to learn Hindi. Mm. <laughs> and I had a little book, Teach Yourself Hindi was the name of it. And I just studied that and conversed with my, my uh, family, I called them my Indian family and my and friends. Of course, they would love to come and speak with a Westerner. Mm. And I ended up learning to speak fairly well in Hindi. And, um, and that has served me since mm. then, yeah. traveling around India. But also I was doing, I, w I was there in that village because I was close enough that I could feel the effects of the nearby large-scale Rudra Vishak yogyas mm. that were going on every mm. day. So I was in, enjoying the feeling of that and also doing a lot of yoga asanas, which mm. were very integrating for me. One mm. of the reasons I left Purusha was for more integration. Mm. So I was spending maybe two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon doing mm. yoga asanas. And that was incredibly healing for me. That right. was physically the most healing period of my life, probably. Yeah. yeah. Really got a lot more flexible. Right. More so a good tool for people who are you know, feeling too much space, too much vada. Maybe yes. we call them airy-fairy and yes. need a ground. La-la landers. That's because, why is that? Because stress is stored in the body and yeah. asanas release. And asanas bring your attention to the location yeah, in the, the body. Action on the physical level where the release is needed. And, it, and that just bringing your attention to the body mm. integrates the consciousness with the physical. Yeah, okay. And yoga asanas, by the way, yoga means unity. So it doesn't mean excessively straining in a yoga class and huffing and puffing. Right. It means in union with your mind and body. Right. Effortless yoga. Yes. Called the huffing and puffing and the big... The hot yoga and all this, this is more exercise. Yeah. Yoga is different. So. And exercise has its value too, yeah. but it's not really yeah. what yoga is all about. Yeah. Yoga is about... you doing a set of yoga asanas should feel a lot like sitting and meditating. Yeah. It's, you should be transcendent yeah. and experiencing inner peace and inner joy. And with that, you will get what exercise is designed to do, which is increase blood flow, increase flexibility, increase strength. Yeah. You get all those without heart beating, sweating, mm -hmm. uh, excessively flexing, and all right. these. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I did a lot of yoga, I did a lot of Sanskrit mm. uh, recitation, made friends with some of the pundits, and learned more about Sanskrit recitation and refined Beautiful. my pronunciation and so forth. Mm. Um, and that was my life for a year mm. um, there. Then this little, little little recluse. A little bit Life reclusive, mm. yeah. I still considered myself a brahmachari at the mm. time. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah. yeah. Brahmachari is... is a, a celibate lifestyle. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, uh, my second summer in India, I decided there's no way I'm going to spend another summer in India in the mm. lowlands. Because mm. it was just brutally hot. Mm. So I uh, went north up to the Himalayas mm. 
and up to Badrinath, mm. actually Jyotirmat, and then Badrinath when it was warm enough. Jyotirmat and Badrinath in Uttarakhand state, and it's where Conan and I's Guru's Guru, right. Swami Ramananda Saraswati, one of the Shankaracharya, the king of the yogis, was Jyotirmat, and still the lineage of the Shankaracharya has been passing on, and they still stay there. And near there is a temple called Vajranath, a Vishnu temple, a very powerful temple in the Himalayas, which I recommend everyone to go. And you you were there. I was there. Yeah, and I, I wanted to stay there, so I, and I wanted to be away from people, so I could just focus on my sadhana, my mm-hmm. spiritual practices, mm-hmm. yoga and meditation, Sanskrit recitation. Mm-hmm. So I got, I bought a tent, and I because there were no caves. I wanted a cave. But I didn't see any caves, so I made my own cave with a tent. And I bought a little gas stove and a little bed, cot, and I, yeah. I parked it out there um, in the valley above Badrinath, yeah. and uh, cooked my own food. How far up from the temple or the city? Not a city. It was about a half an hour's walk oh. up the valley. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was near. Um, there's a waterfall, about a, a 20 meter high waterfall, um, called Indra Tara, mm. and I would I would go take a morning Beautiful. shower in that oh, in that 20 meter high waterfall. And, um, it's different to the Saraswati River, right? Yeah, I did hike up to where the Saraswati mm. supposedly goes underground. Mm. Come, it start starting point of the Saraswati I and mean, goes underground. Mm. So a lot of tourists go there as well. Mm. It's in that same valley, mm. and that's what I found out. I went there to be, you know, away from all the people because there's so many people. No mm. matter where you go in India, mm. so I camped out there, thinking, "Well, now I'm alone. I can be reclusive." Mm. And then I found out, well, this is a very popular tourist place. <laughs> there's tourists hiking through here all the time, mm. and they would stop at my tent and <laughs> knock on the door. Hi, yeah. and want to talk to me. I'd open my eyes out of my meditation. I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> I'm sure many Indians are very impressed to see you went to the camping room. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. Anyway, then, that was only a couple months because you can't stay in Badrinath um, yeah. outside of the hottest months yeah. of the year. Sure. But then I went back to um, out just outside of of uh, Joshimat, which mm. is where Jyotirmat mm. um Shankaracharya seat is, and I found a place on one of the branches of the Ganga. There's a natural hot springs there, mm. so I rented a little room from a family there near this natural hot springs, which was also near the this tributary tributary to the uh, Ganges, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I was close enough I could walk down to the Ganges in the morning and, and have my morning bath. Mm-hmm. And the, at that point, you know, it's it was far enough north that basically the water was flowing straight out of the glacier. Mm-hmm. So the only reason the water wasn't frozen where I was bathing is because it was moving fast. Mm-hmm. So I, when I took my morning bath, wow. I was alert. <laughs> I found a place, a rock that was right next to a deep hole in the river, and I would, I would dive off this rock headfirst into, mm. into the Ganges, and, and I would, it would clear my mind of wow. all thoughts except one: get me out of <laughs> <laughs> the body. Would you say, get wow. me out of it? 
and I would be washed about, I don't know, 10, 15 meters downstream mm. before I could swim back to shore mm. because it was such a fast-moving mm. current. And I would do that, and then I would say, oh, that wasn't so bad, and I'd run up again to my rock and dive in again, mm. wash downstream <laughs> again. I'd do that oh, yeah. about five times, and then, I, then after about five times, I started walking back upstream, and I... I would notice that I couldn't walk straight anymore because the water was so cold. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, maybe it's not safe to do this anymore. <laughs> so then I would head over to the natural hot springs, which mm. was actually right on the banks of the river. It was yeah. flowing into the river, and I would bathe there and I'd warm up. Beautiful. I would get the, the balance that mm. way. Extreme cold, extreme hot. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun mm. adventure. I was desperate to wake up. I was feeling tired and mm. unable to focus still, mm. not integrated. So that was one of the reasons I was motivated to, to dive into the ice-cold mm. Ganges. Mm. And, yeah, it certainly helped me feel alert there for a while. Mm. Eventually, I, it, was, it was Christmas time or something, mm. I thought it would be nice to go and visit the family. I mm. haven't seen them for a couple of years. Mm. And I... Somehow I found myself back down in the south of India in Tiruvannamalai, mm. which is a, there's a sacred mountain there, which is supposedly a, a Shiva Lingam mm. in itself. It's a naturally formed Shiva Lingam in the, in the form of this mountain. And it's recommended to do a parikrama walk around that mountain in a clockwise direction on a full moon night, mm. which, with bare feet, which mm. I did. And uh, there's a great, um, there was a great saint there called Ramana Maharshi, and I went to meditate at, at the in the room where he used to give his satsangs, his lectures, mm. and I really felt his presence there. It's a mm. wonderful, wonderful place to meditate if anyone's mm. in Tiruvannamalai. Near Chennai. It's uh, yeah. Three hour drive. Three hour drive, maybe. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a little ways away, but it's in Tamil Nadu. Mm. And uh, yeah, I I. Kind of, there's a lot of Westerners there. Some of them are a little bit hippie-ish, mm. um, more into the into hippie things than into serious sadhana. Maybe mm. I don't know. They, a lot of people there try to follow the the Ramana Maharshi tradition, mm. which is self-inquiry, mm -hmm. constantly asking, "Who am I?" and then mm. denying, "I am not that. I'm not mm. that." That kind of a you know, kind of like um, the dialectic of uh, is that a Greek guy, Aristotle, or Plato, one of those guys? They have mm. this dialectic technique for self-discovery, <laughs> which is kind of intellectually based. Yeah, it sounds a bit quite intellectual. Yeah, yeah. and for some <laughs> people, people maybe it works. It. Yeah. It might be quicker way. Maybe. <laughs> if they have the experience of inner peace and joy, mm. then, yeah, yeah. then that's, that's what you're after. Mm. But it wasn't attractive to me. It mm. wasn't, didn't feel like my path. Mm. Um, and also I got a little bit turned off by all the, the false sadhus, the false mm. beggars, yeah. taking advantage of all the tourists yeah. around there. But um, no, None of these guys are real, are real, I don't know if you call them sadhus, if they're begging, they shouldn't beg. You're right. Yeah. They, they can denounce all the possessions, but people will give them a donate. Mm. Um, that nature will support them to receive everything they yeah. should. They beg, they're not legit. That's, that's what I would say too. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I ended up one 
maybe the reason I needed to go to Tiruvannamalai was to meet a man, an Australian man actually, who was involved in the Tia movement for many years and been around Maharishi and and I immediately resonated with him. We had rooms right next to each other in this ashram we were both staying mm. in. And as if coincidentally, yeah, you know, nothing happens by accident. <laughs> so I meet this guy and he starts telling me about, um, well, two things. One was a, a great avatar of Mother Divine, a saint in Kerala named Amma. In the West, she's known sometimes as Amachi, Amritanandamayi, Mata Amritanandamayi. And he, oh, in the West, she's known as the Hugging Saint. The Hugging Saint, also, yeah. Mm. And so I, uh, I was persuaded to go and visit her before mm. I left India, and, and was very happy I did. Mm. Had a wonderful experience. The first time I got within like um, ten meters of, her, well, six or seven meters of her, I just felt her auric field, you know, mm. the purity of her being, just surrounding Beautiful. her, and it was just like. Stepping into a spiritual jacuzzi. It was amazing. <laughs> I love that spiritual jacuzzi. It was amazing. <laughs> and I just, you know, you get into a jacuzzi and you don't want to leave. Mm. It's so <laughs> relaxing and it's just fulfilling. And that's the way I felt whenever I got near her. And I actually became quite, uh, I could almost say it, quite the devotee of her for quite mm. some time. I started. Um, hanging out there at her ashram for a few months uh, on later trips to India and started um, one of the main techniques that she promotes is the recitation of the thousand names of Lalita, Mm -hmm. Mother Divine, form of Mother Divine. Mm -hmm. And I was already into Sanskrit recitation, so Mm -hmm. that was a natural for me. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing that and did that regularly every day for four years. Wow. Never missed a day. And it was very powerful. Mm. I couldn't even do the whole recitation in one sitting at first. It took me four hours because I'd have to take a break to do some asanas or something to, you know, because my mind would go off on some tangent. It was Mm. so purifying. My body would start twitching. Mm. Just amazing. Having other thoughts of things? Yeah, other thoughts of things and and strong emotions coming up. Just unable to Mm. focus on the mantras because Mm. it was so purifying. Amazing. And it's in line because the Sanskrit is, is the language of nature, or the, more so the child of the language of nature tries to imitate the sound of nature. Right. So, and it's within us, so yeah. it enlivens these things in the physiology. So whether it's you're chanting the names of the Mother Divine, you're enlivening the Mother Divine within you. Mm-hmm. And that's like uh, reconstructing your physiology on, yeah. the, on the subtle layer as well. And realigning the mind and the body mm-hmm. to the perfect blueprint of creation. Which is Beautiful. given in the Vedas. Mm. Right. Perfect pattern mm. after which everything in the universe is patterned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, that had a profound uh, influence on me. Mm. But the other thing my friend that I met in um, Tiruvannamalai, the other thing he introduced me to was A Course in Miracles, mm. which is a, a book. And at first I thought, a book? How's that going to help, you know, give me some kind of spiritual experiences? I've, I've, I've read lots of books. I've mm. never had any spiritual experiences from reading a book. Mm. Um, but he told me about this place in Wisconsin, in the USA, of all places, where there was a, a realized master and teaching uh, awakening 
through the use of this Course in Miracles book. And uh, turns out my my aunt, my actually my grandmother's sister, my great aunt, had already told me about this place years mm. before, as if coincidentally, because she's she went there and, and was living there. Mm. She was a member of this community. Mm. And and this guy that I met in Tiruvannamalai, he knew my aunt, mm. my, my great aunt, as if coincidentally. So. He told me about it, and I was kind of interested at first, but not that interested. Um, but then I went back to Oregon and built myself a small cabin I was going to live in on my father's property because I needed space away from my father. So I built this little cabin, and then at some point he called because he was there in Wisconsin, my Australian friend, and and he said, I'm here, are you going to come visit? And at that point, nothing was flowing in my life. And I said, okay, I've got to try something different. So I went for a month, and I started having, participating in, in their what they call their group light sessions, and uh, which is like standing around in an active form of meditation. And, and I really felt a lot of kundalini energy mm. moving, just as my friend had told me he felt. Mm. And like really intense sensations in the physiology, and uh, it was amazing, and I, and it was enlivening and awakening, and it was boundary breaking for me to experience something like that through a completely different set of techniques and mm. and different uh, thought system. At first, it seemed like a different thought system because it uses a different vernacular, it uses a different language, mm. different set of terminology. But later on, I was able to correlate the teachings of A Course in Miracles with the Vedic mm. teachings that I was already familiar with. And I realized that they're basically teaching the same eternal truth that every great master has ever taught mm. throughout time. It's just that it's formulated in a, in a language that's acceptable to the Western Christian-oriented mm-hmm. mind. And and it's not going to scare them away like a lot of these Hindu-sounding terminology yeah. would do. Mm. So it's I, I when I, people ask me what is a course in miracles, I tell them it's Vedanta. It's <laughs> it's non-dual Advaita Vedanta, but formulated in a in a language that's acceptable to the Western mind, mm. especially minds with a Christian background, because mm. it's. It's actually written by Jesus Christ mm. through the hand of someone who heard his voice and, mm. and um, who wouldn't be left alone until she wrote it all down. Mm. So I, spent, I ended up spending five years there in Wisconsin in this mm. Course in Miracles community and having amazing experiences um, and, and having a lot of boundaries broken. Uh, the concepts that I held fast to, um, I, I was able to release and just to get into a state where I really don't know what concept is useful for whom at what time. Mm. I have no way. It definitely broke me out of my TM zealot mode mm. where I thought, this is the technique, everyone should be practicing this, and mm. you know, nothing else can be as good as this. And I needed that. Not, 
and there are people doing TM who never get into any other practice, and they're not they don't they're not zealous about it, mm. and they may not need to be exposed to something else mm. because they don't need to be broken out of their rigid boundaries. You mm. know, they're just fine. Yeah. So, but I needed to because I was a, mm. overly attached to many of my concepts of superior. Yeah. As you said, all these teachings, all these schools of thoughts, they're all essentially the same, just different ways of yeah. delivering the knowledge and different, all paths lead to the same, yeah. same thing. In fact, there's one beautiful um, line in A Course in Miracles where it says, a universal philosophy is impossible, but a universal experience is not only possible, but necessary. Mm. Right. And how we get to that experience, it's going to be according mm. to your own cultural background, mm. the time in which you're born, yeah. family, DNA, mm. you know, mentality and all that. Mm. <clears throat> but the experience is one, mm. no matter which path you take to get there. Mm. So that was the Course in Miracles period. Mm. And they say even just with yeah, Jesus, he's he's like a like a Brahmin or something. No? He's yeah. or he's a Vedic scholar. Or yeah, absolutely. So many things he said that correlate with the Vedas. Absolutely, yeah. It's now clear, especially with the clarifications that the Course in Miracles offered on the on the Bible, mm. on interpretations of mm. the Bible and many common misinterpretations of the Bible. Yeah. With that understanding of the true teachings of Jesus, now mm. I see that he really was a Vedic master. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of, and with, I guess, other religions, there's a lot of misunderstandings and misinterpretations. Yes. Like, especially with uh, Jesus, the fact that he suffered, like, yeah, like who says he suffered when he was pinned, you know? Who right. thinks a tiny little pin on a uh-huh. Little hand on a little planet right. can cause suffering. You know, it's Mar- not the, you don't know the state of his consciousness. It was exactly. misinterpreted by the people who wrote yeah. that. Maharishi said that mm. uh, someone asked him about Jesus and said, well, "You know, Jesus died for our sin, died and suffered for our sins." And and Maharishi interrupted and said, "No, no, no, no. <laughs> Jesus didn't suffer." What do you mean Jesus didn't suffer? He was crucified. How could he not have suffered? And Maharishi said, if I want to respect him as a savior, then I cannot consider that he suffered. Mm. Because Maharishi knew that Jesus' consciousness was far beyond the the body. Jesus knew he was the Christ, Mm. the Son of God, who was created in the image of God. Meaning, And God, of course, is far beyond the physical level. Mm. God is eternal, and he creates like himself, so he created a son who is also eternal. Mm. And nothing physical is eternal. It's always changing, the Mm. relative phase of life. So therefore, the son of God must also be non-physical like his father. So the son of God, the Christ, must be Mm. non-physical. A wincing body does not mean the consciousness is suffering. Right, right. And he was in definitely in a high state of consciousness. Definitely. Perhaps bewildered, a bit bewildering. So maybe that's you know, yeah. where it came. Yeah. He was doing miracles in you know this age, which is Kali Yoga, mm-hmm. uh, the age of ignorance, performing miracles out there maybe. 
that was a bit bewildering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the physical aspect, no doubt, mm. of Jesus. You could say he suffered, but he knew he was not that. Yeah, and that's really telling the consciousness about the people who wrote that. That's exactly. The state yeah. of consciousness of the people that wrote that. Exactly. Knowledge, Mauricio says, knowledge is structured in consciousness. So mm. what we're aware of when we perceive something yeah. depends more on our consciousness than what we're perceiving. Yeah, beautiful. And that's a good tool for people to know when they get into arguments or fights with people or yes. someone unstresses on you. Mm-hmm. It's, don't take it personally. It's just right. a report of their state of consciousness. Yeah. You can say, thank you for reporting your state of consciousness. Yes, <laughs> letting me know how you feel. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you can't say that to them. No. no. <laughs> say it in a different way. Right. <laughs> there's, there's also a line in The Course in Miracles that says, projection makes perception. Mm. Perception is not a fact. It's it's a result of what we project. Mm. What what else has come on your path? <laughs> then what happened after that? Then I started coming back to India for like six months at a time, spending a lot of time with Ama mm. and also Mother Mira, mm. whom I've told told you about, mm. whom I'm going to see in a few weeks. Mm. I met her actually while I was working in Switzerland. I went up to Germany, and that's where she lives. Mm. And visited her for the first time and my life was just transformed mm. and since and I actually started making trips to India just to see her because you can see her in Germany but you, ha- you have to wait for a month before mm. you can see her again and you can only see her for like two or three days mm. and then you have to wait another month but here mm. in India you can see her for like a week or two every day mm. so there's many more people in Germany yeah like yeah. hundreds of people wow. come to see her in Germany mm. Yeah, every, every weekend. And she gives darshan. Mm-hmm. She's Each one individually. And darshan is, it comes from the root drishti, right. which means to see. And it's right. basically when uh, someone of a higher state of consciousness or some, it doesn't have to be someone, it can be like an idol or something, when they see you. Mm-hmm. And it, I used to think, and people commonly think, darshan means when you see the God. Mm-hmm. But it's really when the God sees you and right. then they elevate you to their state of consciousness and that's why these darshans whether it's whether you uh, whether you, the murti which is the statue of these temples whether they see you or where uh, a saint like Mother Mira or like Ama see you they bring you to this, their high state of consciousness and that's why you get this euphoric yeah. unbelievable feeling and experience which yeah. makes people like you keep wanting to see them again and again and right. People like me, you know, I get this very much so in some temples which I keep going to. Yes. And, yeah. and it's interesting, this concept, you know, how it's great, it's euphoric, it's big blessings, but how, how much do we need this? How much should we establish our own state of being and that, be content with what we have and not need these? I don't want to say external because it's right. still us, but right. you know, I should be able to tap into it all the time. Yes, yes. And I'm very glad you brought up that point because this is the one thing that came to me to, to speak about. Mm. Like if I were to summarize all my the, life experience, the pearl of wisdom, yeah. the, big, the biggest pearl of wisdom that I've gained from all my life experiences, mm. it's that uh, these experiences of darshan uh, or um, or 
doing seeing a healer. Like mm. I've done, I went to see. Um, there's a guy, a famous healer in Brazil called John of God. Mm. He's not far north of Brasilia in mm. Brazil, and I flew all the way down there to see him. And I had genuine <clears throat> healing experiences. Mm. I could feel, you know, he performed psychic surgery and, and, mm. other, and other kinds of surgery, and, mm. and I could feel there was definitely energy moving, mm. and it was very intense. Mm. So I knew something good was happening, mm. you know? and yet all my problems didn't just go away. Mm. Uh, and also, I shared with you my experience in the Philippines, where yeah. I went to see the um, these psychic surgeons, where they mm. actually reach inside your body with their hands and mm. pull things out, and lots of blood flows and mm. nasty things are pulled out of your body. Mm. And I saw incredible things happen there, not only with my own body but other people. I was you saw it then performing the I psychic saw, surgery, on yeah, them. on other people. And sometimes, yeah. you know, this one large Japanese man, he pulled out this some big tumor-like thing like the size of a softball or mm. something. I was like, amazing. whoa, where did that come from? Yeah. It was just amazing. I'm going to post a recount on my website that Conan did of, um, of yeah, his experience in the Philippines of psychic surgery. It's a really beautiful recount. And in fact, Maharishi, Maharishi Mahashogi, he said, he said to my teacher, Tom Knowles, he said, go explore what nature is doing there in the Philippines. And he mm-hmm. sent some people to go explore it. Yes. And it's, yeah. Well, and my, as I told in my story that I wrote up for you, um, I feel it was quite genuine. Mm. Because, not because of what I saw, Mm. but because of what I felt, Mm. the shift that I felt in my consciousness. Because visual things, pulling blood and guts out of someone's body, that can be faked if you're really good at sleight of hand type things. You can fake that. And I think there are, I've heard that there yeah. are people who do fake it. And yeah. So beware of those. But, mm. but um, what I felt in the, the healers that I went to see there, I felt energy movement. Yeah. You know, I've done enough meditation, I can tell mm. when there's an energy shift mm. happening. And I also felt a clear difference in the quality of my meditations after the, the surgery. Mm. Something had shifted, it was undeniable. Mm. And that's mm. what convinced me that it was genuine, not the, mm. what I saw visually, but the yeah. shift that I felt in that's my consciousness. Mm. And yet, at the same time, as I mentioned in the story, it, I concluded after my experiences there that, yes, it, it shifted something, it was helpful, mm. and yet it didn't necessarily shift my fundamental way of, of thinking, my fundamental style of thinking, mm in a way that would prevent the problems from coming back. Yeah. And if you don't shift your fundamental style of thinking, then the problems will re-manifest, mm. even if they get cleaned out by some healer or yeah. psychic surgeon or, yeah. or John of God or or, mm. or or even if you go to some amazing temple mm. and receive a blast of shakti and yeah. bliss, mm. you feel great for a minute, but yeah. if it doesn't, but if your fundamental pattern of thought doesn't change, yeah. you'll fall back into the same yeah. diseases or, or yeah. relationship problems or whatever you were experiencing before. How influential is our conditioning? How much can we transcend that and dust that off? Right, right. So then the question comes up, which you were just asking, 
what is the value in going to a temple or mm. what is the value in going to do panchakarma? You mm. feel great. I, I just completed 46 days of panchakarma. Mm. I feel clean and light and flexible mm. in my body and energetic mm. and wonderful. Mm. But yet, having done panchakarma before, mm. I know that the effects, the good feeling eventually begins to, to decline mm. after some time. Mm. And so what was the benefit of doing it? And I, I've come to the conclusion that it's the, the main benefit of doing panchakarma or going to some saint or going to some temple. Panchakarma, by the way, yeah. is like an Ayurvedic detox and rejuvenation program. Yeah. And we can you know, take herbs, take, do the daily routines, do the diet and everything. But if you really want to change the physiology at a deep level and go to the more intense Ayurvedic treatments, you do an in-residence panchakarma. Right, right, which is wonderful. Highly yeah. recommend it. Mm. Yeah. Krishna Raja is, is the whole Raja family is mm. amazing in their diagnostic abilities. And so what is the value then in doing all of these, these special techniques or darshans or, mm. or seeing these healers? And I've concluded that the main value is to give us a glimpse of what it's possible to feel like. Mm. I have, you know, you have one of these, because after one of the, after you see a good healer, you do panchakarma or see a saint or something like that, you feel good afterwards. And in fact, I would even say you feel normal. Mm. You feel, oh, this is how I should feel. This is normal. Mm. And then you're reminded, yes. in my case, you're reminded that it's possible to mm. feel normal, to feel just naturally Natural. content mm. and joyful and peaceful mm. inside, not searching for that outside of mm. yourself able to and feel that you know source yeah. of all love and joy within yourself so you're free to extend it to others mm. not trying to to get some kind of fulfillment from others mm. so you have a glimpse of it it gives you a glimpse and that reminds you what it's like to be normal natural. and that and, and natural mm. and that inspires you in mm. my case at least to strive once mm. again for that state yeah. and which means inspires me to be regular in my sadhana, mm. in my yoga, mm. my meditation, my recitation, all those things that I already know how to do mm. that help me, help restore me to that yeah. state of normalcy. Totally. And it's reminding the physiolo physiology, obviously, and mm -hmm. not just panchakarma, but panchakarma is more physical. It's definitely also on the mind level and the consciousness, but it's, you know, It's like, re it's like maintenance for our body. You know, yeah. It's recommended to do Panchakarma once a year, yeah, approximately yeah. for everyone. Everyone's different, but mainly once a year. Mm -hmm. and that's just to keep you know, regularly detoxing the body and yeah. reminding, we call it Shmiti, is enhancing the cellular memory of perfect health, mm -hmm. which is within all of us. Mm -hmm. We just have to enliven it. Yeah. And it's just regular reminding the body that it's there. And yeah. Yeah. I guess it is a big process to be able to establish that state where you don't, need so much reminding, you don't need darshans, you don't need to do so much sadhana. Really, that's high state, that's unity consciousness, right? It's, you don't need to meditate. Even lower states, you don't need to meditate anymore. You're in that state 24-7. Exactly. And, but yeah, so it's reminding. It's good maintenance. And also, I think the, the reminder value is there, right. but also it, each panchakarma is, has a cumulative effect yeah. as well. Each darshan, I think, mm does add yeah. towards the total purity. So mm. there's, it's like a, you know, it's like doing a sadhana. Each time you do a, a, a practice of yoga or meditation, 
mm. or Sanskrit recitation, it also has a cumulative yeah. beneficial effect. Mm. So, yeah, I would. Yeah, so you, I would even say it's the same reason that we do our daily practice mm. is the same reason we go to a temple or, or yeah. get darshan from yeah. a saint or whatever. It's another form of sadhana, mm. and it all has a cumulative effect. It's just that some of these things have a more powerful, noticeable mm. effect of restoring normalcy to the mind and body, and that reminds us more powerfully. Great. And I'm going to post on the show notes all these, you know, Panchakarma and all these saints and places Conan has been. You can learn more about that. And, and, and now, what about right now? What state, what, what is your, where are you at at life now? You've had all these recluse, you've had quite a lot of recluse experiences for the average American man. Many years being, and yeah, what are you up to now? <laughs> what do well, you do on, the, on that balance? I'm, yeah, that I'm obviously still doing things like mm. Panchakarma. I'm here mm. now doing it. I'm going to go see Mother Mira in mm. a few weeks. I'm mm. still doing those things, but I'm also um, putting uh, more attention. I just, in my individual path, I feel called to place a little more attention on on the integration mm. into the material level. So mm. I'm I'm working on a, a computer program, writing a computer program yeah. that's going to trade in the futures market and mm. hopefully make billions and billions of dollars <laughs> so I can fund some projects that will transform this world okay. in a in a profound way. Wonderful. I want to. I walk around India and I think. When I become a billionaire, I'm going to install a functional waste disposal system. Mm. (laughs) So you know, it's not waste. I'm going to and I'm going to replace all of these two-cycle engine auto rickshaws, which spew this Mm. toxic gas. I'm going to replace them all with electric. Mm. Auto rickshaws. Mm. <laughs> I'm gonna do all this. <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of those things. I get that too. Walk around India. I was a billionaire. I would do this. I would do yeah, I'll build this. <laughs> I'm gonna take. Uh, there's a technology for desalinating seawater mm. using solar power, mm. and solar power is usually widely available, readily available in places where there's a shortage of water. Mm. So it's you know, it's a natural, right? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you use solar power to desalinate seawater, purify seawater, so mm. it can be used for for irrigating crops and for drinking water and so forth? Mm. So there's this technology, and I want to make that available right. in countries where there's water shortages. Mm. So mm. many yeah, projects good. I have in mind when I become a billionaire. Yeah, good. Okay, so a lot of establishing being and still continuing to do it, and a lot of uh, good action in mind to be performed, mm-hmm. yes. performing now and and in the process. Of yes. so, great. And I'm still doing more. You know, I'm still on my healing journey as well, mm. my mind and body. Yeah. I've found uh, along the way I learned how to take my own pulse in the Ayurvedic style. Mm. You know, it's for me it, taking my pulse for a long time is a is a meditative experience. Mm. It, it immediately connects my consciousness to my physiology, mm. my mind to my body, yeah. and uh, guides my mind, guides my attention to the areas in the body where, where it needs to be mm. for healing that area. Okay. And I can, if I do that for hours at a time, then I, I will start to uh, 
move through layers. Mm. Like I'll, my attention will go to one area of my body, and mm. then I'll just embrace whatever I'm, whatever I'm feeling there, no matter how I might initially label it. I might mm. initially call it pain or something. Mm. Like Wait, as it says in A Course in Miracles, pain is just a wrong perspective. Mm. It's really just energy, yeah. energy movement. I don't have to perceive it as pain. Mm. I can see it as healing. Mm. You know? So I'll I'll take some time, take some deep breaths, and, mm. and just embrace it, allow mm. it to be whatever it is without judging it, without mm. resisting it. Mm. And it moves. And once it moves, then the next layer that was hidden beneath that layer of stress mm. becomes revealed. And it mm. might be in a completely different area of the physiology. Mm. It might start out, for me, it's often in the left hip, which is where an old injury is. Mm. It might start there, and then when that releases, I might feel it in the chest mm. or in the neck. And then those, I move through those, and I might feel it in the bottom of my right foot, in the bottom of my left foot. Mm. It keeps moving around, and it doesn't matter where it is. I just apply the same principle. Just whatever I feel, embrace that, love mm. that. Don't resist yeah, it. Right. Just embrace it and breathe and, and let it move through. Yeah. And so I want. I'd love to spend. I will spend some time, long periods of time, just doing that mm. in the next few years. And really, really and I'll simple. post in the notes uh, how to take your own pulse. And mm-hmm. It's a great, as Connor said, it's a great tool to put yourself back into your body, especially mm-hmm. for people who are experiencing anxiety or panic attacks. One of the best things you can do is feel your pulse and just bring, yes. grounds you completely and brings you to the present it's moment. Amazing, powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much for and Sanskrit. I haven't given up on Sanskrit. Yeah. I want to. I still want to. Um, learn mm. the grammar and vocabulary of Sanskrit and mm. I want to learn how to perform full-blown Vedic yajyas yeah great wow including Rudra Vishayak and mm. Durga Saptashi I'm a big fan of Sanskrit mm. so am I I'm going to do a podcast on Sanskrit at some point mm. soon because it's such a powerful language and I don't study it nearly like you mm. I did was a couple of years ago I attempted to start to learn to read and write it but I just said nah, I can't spend all my time on this I need to keep spend my studying time on Ayurveda oh, yeah. on the more the knowledge but I just learn a lot you know not a lot compared to other people but I, I learn from just reading it and coming across the words and it's just such a beautiful language it it's yeah. it's in our physiology yes, it it's a subtle language it's yeah so it's I made a series of videos on that I posted oh. on YouTube on Sanskrit pronunciation. Oh, great! And uh, and I also have a few simple um, materials for learning to read the Devanagari script. Mm-hmm. There are other websites also with mm-hmm. some good materials on them. And and when you'll see on this article of the psychic healing, um, yeah, he's got two videos on it. And be careful because if you don't like what you. you <laughs> What do you call it, those people who... Psychic surgeons? No, no, no. Oh. If they get Oh, cringy. squeamish. Yeah, if you're squeamish, yeah. don't watch this video. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's, uh, as oh. you said, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's full on. It is. Yeah. It's very interesting. Although they are basically opening up your body and exposing organs and taking stuff out, and a lot of blood, they quickly heal it like nothing ever happened. Yeah, so. yeah. Wipe it away.
thanks for listening guys pretty amazing all the experiences conan has had definitely check out that article that he wrote about his experience with the filipino psychic surgery it is unbelievable next level are the youtube videos if you can really handle them but yeah hope you enjoyed please remember to subscribe to the podcast please leave a review i love reading them and share this with your friends share these episodes sms it to them whatsapp to them share on facebook Appreciate it and share the love. Until next time.